Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gary V Audio Experience. Today's episode, Gary goes on Decrypt Media to discuss all things NFTs, including his new project, V Friends. Enjoy. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Gary Vaynerchuk, welcome to Decrypt. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. So NFTs are the talk of the town. I mean, we know that having covered every angle of it. And that is your news is this NFT launch. But before we even get into that, you know, you've got such a big following on social, obviously, but I don't want to assume that everyone at Decrypt and everyone sure. among our crypto readership knows you. Yep. So you know, there was Wine Library, there's VaynerMedia, your content business. What else do you have going on right now in business separate from crypto? Mainly I've been head, you know, head down for the last decade building a very large, you know, agency, um, which is pushing almost 1,500 people globally, Mexico City, Singapore, London, the U.S., been operating, you know, I do put out a lot of, you know, people that are listening are aware of me, it's probably through the lens of the Gary Vee content machine, but, you know, what I actually do in my day-to-day is I'm the CEO of a a pretty large service-based business that I've always had long-term ambitions to deploy against my activities, two of which I've already done. I launched Resi, the restaurant app, seven years ago, and we had a very successful exit to Amex, and three years ago, I launched a direct-to-consumer wine brand called Empathy, which we sold to Constellation Brands uh, last year, and so, just on my business journey, you know, doing my thing. Let's talk about the NFT launch. There's so much to get into there, but it is uh, Friends, right? And as we talk, you are just about to kind of pull the trigger on that. Talk to us about what went into it. I mean, everyone right now is launching NFTs in some form, but some projects compared to other are in varying levels of quality. Some of this stuff looks a little bit fly by night, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. What did you try to do and what's your aim in terms of your own series? So for me, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, this reminds me so much because I was there of internet startup life 99, you know, such a, there's such an opportunity for a land grab, cash grab, and you have seen people with large audiences um, come out with, you know, commissioned a digital artist, put their name on it, and have, you know, extracted a lot of dollars from their fan base, and I think the concern I have there is it's a nice short-term transaction if that's what your goal is, but I think if you leave a fan base holding the bag, you know, that can't work out in the long term. And so for me, I walked in very eyes wide open knowing that, you know, in the in the beginning of this year, I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna do this. This is a real thing. You know, and I've been, you know, I was an investor in Ethereum back in 17, pretty actively. I've been watching the space for a while, but much like everything I do, including what I'm doing with VR now, I'm taking meetings, I'm watching the new Oculus stuff, I'm looking at startups, but I won't put out a lot of content on it because I don't wanna, say things that end up being wrong because that hurts your reputation. And so, you know, for all my yapping, I do quite a bit of listening and thinking before I start yapping heavily. And so I felt it was time. I felt, you know, I, I got very deep into investing in crypto punks because I just truly believed it was good investment. As you can see, sports cards, comic books, toys, I, I, it comes natural to me. It's something I've always done. Even wine, I think the reason I had a good wine career was because people collect wine. It's just a place I play. And I really, you know, I wanted to invest more in the space. I want to expand my business activities. And the only thing I know is when I see a game changer, 
I need to get my hands dirty. And when I saw a game changer of the internet, I launched a website when I didn't even, Dan, I didn't even own a computer when I launched winelibrary.com. That's how quickly I moved that knowing the internet was gonna be big, but wasn't in it yet. Uh, even social, like the whole Gary Vee stuff, it, you know, I was 30 years old before I put out a piece of content on the internet. It wasn't really my ambition to be known. I just knew that we were upon this Web 2.0 era where per, you know, personal content, I started with wine, right, what I knew. And then I went into you know, you know, business stuff. And so I knew that I needed to get my hands dirty. And so I spent months really thinking through a couple things. One, I thought it was an opportunity to show that NFTs had smart contracts underneath them. I think everyone's forgotten that with the Beeple craze and with the Top Shot craze and we've become very art and collectible. Yeah. And I said, you know, let me, let me, A, it was actually just a conversion of many things. Uh, South by Southwest changed my life. It's where I met some of the smartest people, kindest people. And I always said to myself after South by 2008, which was my third South by, one day I want to throw a conference like this, like something big. So that's always been in my mind. So for me, putting out this Friends project where every token, all 10,255, is also a three-year ticket to VCon, a conference that I want to put on. That's a mix, I would say, of Davos, South By, I would say a little of like pop culture, like maybe there's some music, maybe, actually, summer camp. I want to have a lot of comp, like I want people like doing some competition because I like that. Anyway, that was big and then, you know, FaceTime, hangout groups, some access. You know, my, my dream when I was baking it was, oh, if Novak Djokovic follows this model instead of somebody just making a painting of him and I can buy a token that gives me a hitting session with him or if I can go into studio with The weekend, you know, kind of thought of it from that perspective. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really, that, that's what I wanted to do, do off-chain, you know, realities and smart contract. And then finally, you know, I started VaynerMedia with the intent to buy nostalgic brands and IP. And that's what I thought I was up to, literally up to even 18 months ago. And then this momentum of the NFT space, I firmly believe that two or three of the most significant intellectual property pop, in pop culture in 20 years, the, the Hello Kitties, the Pokemons, mm-hmm. the Harry Potters, I believe like video games and card games and movies and books were platforms for much bigger expansion of that IP. I believe that NFT's destiny is definitely to groom and to spring up three to five meaningful intellectual properties. And I have substantial ambition for VFriends to be one of them. There's a lot there. Uh, You mentioned some of this is right now a land grab or at least a cash grab. And I say the same thing, that the wheat will be separated from the chaff. You know, in other words, there's going to be a shaking out. Some of the NFTs that are being launched right now are fly-by-night, quick, it's tied to a brand or a celebrity, and it's to make a quick buck, and then you're out, you did it. Other things will survive and thrive and and remain and look legit. It's the same thing as the ICO boom. You know, ICO has become a dirty word, but some of those tokens that were launched during that time have remained and have proven themselves legitimate and have real companies or use cases behind them. Many of them were not. So all that said, did you have any kind of concerns before announcing this that some people would frame this, you know, in terms of the snarky, uh, another NFT thing just to say you did it? Of course I do. I, I have a very loud personality. That comes with everything I do. It's, the, it's a continuous story of my life. As a matter of fact, I've had a really nice business career 
where I've, you know, things like empathy and resonance are just not even conversated about. You know, of course, when somebody's positioned as loud or motivational speaker, like I'm the least, like, naive to what the narrative is. What has worked for me, Dan? But that happened with me with WineLibrary.com long before a human knew who I was. All my dad's friends made fun of him for letting his son do this stupid internet thing, right? Or. Or when I started the YouTube show, I was at the height of building one of the largest e-commerce wine businesses in America. People literally around me, and definitely outside of me, thought I'd lost my mind, right? Like, that I was like, loopy, like what is this YouTube thing? So, yeah, I do worry about that, and I, I, I don't know what to do other than execute over the next decade to like, have that thaw out. You know, I think we live in a world where whether it's a social media comment or a podcast or an article written, you're, you're gonna get that. And I'm definitely gonna get that with the way that I communicate. And I, it, you know, it doesn't feel great, especially when you feel like you're truly legitimate and have really done stuff your whole life. But I think it would be very unfair for me not to recognize that my over-the-top natural DNA energy as a communicator, that that comes, you know, there's a lot of good things that come along with it. People get excited and opportunities happen, but that is part of the baggage that comes along with it. There's plenty of times that I'm like, man, if I just had 25% less of that, then I would, you know, then the crescendo, it would be like pitch perfect, but that's not the case. And I don't, I don't dwell on that. I think what I have to do is spend the next, you know, two, three decades putting out a meaningful children's book, a toy, an animated series, a playing card, uh, you know, things to develop these characters. And that's why I went with that route. This is not, you know, to me, Dan, to be frank, this is a real relief and maybe the starting point of the things that I care about, patience, ambition, kindness, candor, like the things I talk about, I've had to be the vehicle, which comes with all that baggage. Now I'm gonna be able to put things that I believe in, empathy and other things into the world through these characters that are really driven by gratitude of my circumstance and so, I'm actually genuinely excited about the character development because I think it's gonna take a lot of the onus off of me, the human, to maybe put these things that I wanna put into the world. Yeah, creating a whole series of characters and thinking of different outlets for them reminds me a little bit of what Marty Bennett is up to. You know, Martellus Bennett, the the former NFL player, uh, interviewed him a while back and he's really trying to create like his own version of a Disney, That's which cool. is interesting. Yeah, I think, and I think you will see Many, many, many people, like I, I would call it like influencer marketing, right? I don't think Martellus and I are like, we're gonna be two of hundreds of thousands. And I think like influencer marketing, there'll be you know a top 1% that actually had the talent to create a Despicable Me or you know, a, you know, a, a Get Along Gang or Smurfs or Scooby-Doo or right, Tom and Jerry. But I think unlike the history of television and film, you're gonna find a lot of micro IP. You're gonna find a lot of mid-market, really solid, you know, the human behind it sustains a lifestyle. Maybe it's a six-figure, you know, a year life, but it's so much cooler than what they were doing otherwise. They've turned their art and their story, you know, you don't need it to hit on, on the morning cartoon or at the bookshelf or on Netflix. You don't need it to go smashing. You can, you can have a nice, solid thing and I think, that was something I talked a lot about with influencer marketing, that the long tail was much longer than people realized. And that is actually my prediction for what's gonna happen with IP development. Look, I, I do have a lot of confidence and hopes and dreams and I wanna smash it. 
Uh, but you know, if it ends up being a mid-tier play, it's still really cool, and you still get those creative juices out. I think a lot of people's destinies are going to be there. Well, and another thing, especially in the crypto world, as we know, you look at some of the projects that are the biggest. Even something like CryptoPunks, which they're selling for so much money because they're the OGs, it's still so unknown to a vast part of the population. I mean, you can have something 90, that's really damn, 90, 90, 99%. Damn. Totally. That's totally. what's so cool, I'm sure, for you, right? You going through, you know, you, you guys have this incredible show and you know already you have momentum and you're like, shit, nobody <laughs> even knows yet. Right. And by the way, I've been there twice. I really was. I was there with 96 and 7 with .com. I'm like, oh my God. You know, because what you know, what I know is you start tasting it and you're like, man, this is doing pretty well. Wait a minute. Nobody knows yet. This could be cool. Same for, you know, social media. I was like, wait a minute. Everybody's doing this at a certain age. And, and that's what actually has me extremely bullish on NFTs. I don't think people realize we have an entire generation of under 18-year-olds who are so matter-of-fact on NFTs because of Roblox, because of skins on Fortnite. Like, they don't even think twice. And then I, rem- you know, I remind a lot of my 40-year-old friends, I'm like, bro, you bought sheep on Farmville. <laughs> you know, like... like yeah. the, you or know, the Sims, right? SimCity. I mean, anything that had in-game purchases. Absolutely. Correct. I'm like, now the whole world's the game and the plus-ups are interchangeable. When you got bored with Minecraft and you graduate to you know, uh, Fortnite, you're kind of stuck in the four walls of Minecraft. These now become, on a blockchain world, interchangeable assets. You're gonna be able to trade in. You know, not, I, you know what's so funny, Dan? I, I'm such a big garage sailor. I don't know if you know this about me, but like, I'm obsessed with garage sailing. And I see this every day. I like roll up on a home and I see the 13 year old and sure enough, all the toys that are for sale are from when that kid was seven. And they're trading to the next thing. But they're selling those things for eight cents in a bag instead of 12 bucks a piece that they paid for those Skylanders. In, in NFT land, there's gonna be a very different dynamic there. And that's gonna be an interesting thing to watch as a collector and a trader and it's kinda neat. I'm excited to see a mature NFT space of interchangeable assets. Well, I'm glad you mentioned you know friends in your peer group and you try to explain it to them because my next question was going to be, there are people right now, probably actually most people, who just can't really wrap their minds around it. And I totally understand that and I don't blame them. You know, I spoke to Mark Cuban a few months ago and he just said, people need to get past the mental hurdle of physical ownership, of thinking you have to be able to physically display it. Just understand that value has gone digital, ownership has gone digital, all that is fine, but even once you explain that, there's a lot of people and they still just say, I just can't see paying $70 million well, for your digital image. Look, that's no different than when I was telling all my buddies in 1999 that everybody was gonna date through the internet and they were like, no way, I'm not a fat dude in my mom's basement. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not understanding the convenience and the cultural shifts. I didn't use such smart words back then, but like, you know, like, it was just very obvious to me. And so for me, the public wallet as a communication tool, no different than what you've got on your shelf there with the dog and no matter what I got and how you wear your facial hair and what shirt you're wearing. And like humans communicate and to, to Mark's credit, that's exactly right. I don't even live in my mind anymore without the public wallet being as important as a Google result or an Instagram look up when you meet someone new. 
Well, and, and let me push you on that because there's still an amount of friction. I mean, we can divide up and it depends which NFT site you're talking about. But like Topshot, I think, has gone mainstream because it allows dollars. That's fine. But also people can use and enjoy that without even really ever understanding crypto. Whereas some of the other NFT sites, you need to own some ETH. So you need to go to an exchange, buy some Ether, have a MetaMask wallet, go back to the NFT site, plug in your MetaMask wallet, pay in ETH. And I still think that that's a lot of steps for people who are not crypto native. I mean, do you think that I couldn't, there has to be I could, a friction reduction? I think they're going to happen two ways. I think, you know, the Bitskis, the, you know, flows, they're doing a great job with fiat. For me, I was willing for this to do less well to then show a big community of mine and others how to actually taste it for the first time. For me, Dan, that's very authentic because in 1997 and 1998 and 1999, I spent the majority of my time standing in a liquor store for 12 hours a day talking to people and saying, no, 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 I'm telling you, your credit card will not be stolen if you buy stuff on our, you don't have to drive six hours to our good wine store. Like, I'm um, thank you, but we can ship this to you. and. You know, you may remember this, you know, just rough guessing on your age, your parents or maybe your friends' parents, like people were scared to put their credit card into the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bro, and I'm empathetic to everybody. That first time I bought something with a MetaMask in my Chrome browser and it had that 30 second delay, I was like, I was like, did I, you know, I was like scared shitless. I'm like, and it was five minutes, that was five months ago. So I, I think that. It will happen inevitably. I genuinely believe two things will happen. People will get more comfortable and I think, look at Rainbow's wallet versus MetaMask, right? Rainbow displays it in such a consumer-facing way. And I think you know this and I know this and many who are listening, if they're listening to this show, they know this, that in 24 months, the technology and the Web 3.0 gang will make it better and the audience will get there sooner and they're gonna meet somewhere in the middle and you know, I'm gonna look back at what I paid in gas fees to mint my project and throw up, just like I think about what I paid in server costs for early wine library compared to what AWS now does. So this is just, you know, what's fun about getting the gray hairs and starting to lose it is you get really good pattern recognition, right? Hmm. And web one for me was intuitive. Web two was affirmation. Web three for me is flag in the ground, like, oh, I've seen this movie multiple times. I'm moonwalking through this chapter. Mm, no pun intended with moon. Um, yes. Let, let me ask you, we have to hit on this. And it, again, it speaks to when something is starting to get mainstream, you get a lot of chatter and, and maybe people have some misconceptions, but the environmental concerns. Yeah. You know, now to the people say, there are people say, I've heard they're bad for the environment. Now they haven't necessarily read so much about them. And of course the truth is more talking about is mining on Ethereum and yes it uses a lot of electricity but Ethereum is in the process of moving to proof of stake and that won't use as much electricity but without getting kind of into the weeds on the technics of it have you already seen some of that pushback from people who are your fans who say oh I thought these things are killing the environment what do you say to offset that uh, I you know as I was like okay you know Ethereum was what I was most comfortable with when I was really saying I'm going to do this so you know I would never do something that I'm not comfortable with. I just wouldn't do it, right? I was like, I'm gonna do this on ETH. And to your point, I, I, you know, where's my report card? There's a reason I got Fs. You know, you're not gonna be able to see this, but there's a real reason why I got a bunch of Fs in science. Like, 
I really struggle with it. What I, what I definitely got to a place of is like, okay, I understand proof of stake. I understand what L2 is bringing to the equation. Um, the thing that was really interesting for my project, Dan, was this project, these characters were, two years ago, I was making a toy project called Workplace Warriors. Same characters to sit in people's, you know, back to the way I like to roll, right? Um, so one of the things I've been very fascinated by is the net impact, right? I'm a sports card collector. It's a lot of cardboard, a lot of plastic, a lot of shipping, a lot of FedEx, a lot of UPS, a lot of cardboard. So, you know, my intuition is over time, it should be a winner compared to all the plastic and paper and and fuel that's used to schlep around physical goods. Um, obviously, ETH has clearly made a staking ground. And then, you, as I don't have to explain to this audience, there's incredible amounts of pla- uh, blockchain standing up that you know are dramatically less uh, reliant on proof of work, including ETH itself. So, a little bit, but it's funny to watch that conversation. I think people, you know, to a lot of people's credit, I think people hear that and they are concerned about that because it's an important issue. But I think people are educating themselves more and more. I, I, I watch this very daily and I, 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 look, you know this. It's like any subject matter in the world. Some people are just gonna draw a line in the sand and there's, it's like politics or anything else. There is no conversation. But I've watched very carefully people, um, on, but by the way, both ways, both ways. People are like, fuck you, this is my, and kind of go to, and people were like, nah, and say, you know what, yeah. And, and you know what, that's nice. I've seen a lot of, hu- you know, the word I would use is I've seen a lot of humanity from both sides in the conversation of like, of like realizing there's, there's a lot of nuances and, and I think very good, uh, you know, steps in the direction of trying to address it because it's an important one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I like to say, Gary, is that there are some people who just, they never want anything to do with it. They've decided it's stupid and, and that's fine. But I think what has changed within the last year, year and a half is that at the very least, those people can now acknowledge, even if you have no interest in the whole crypto world and you don't want to touch it, fine, but you acknowledge that it's real. It exists. It is here to stay. You know, skeptics used to say, what if it all collapses? Bitcoin could crash to zero. It's not going to go to zero. That has never happened. And it has proven itself after 11 years. And these two things, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum, at the very least, they have staying power. You know, whether you want to touch it and be involved with it, up to you. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things I'm petrified of, back to you asking me earlier, is I'm on every program here, I'm going to do it again. I think 98% of the projects that are coming out in NFT form right now are not gonna be good investments. 98, comma, I think the NFT macro technology is one of the most significant things to happen in the last 25 years at the consumer behavior level. I, you know, from a, you know, so, you know, the, all these things are incredibly nuanced, to your point. Right, like, like you know, to me, I'm an incredibly big enthusiast of the Bitcoin universe. People, I've done some podcasts and people feel like I'm anti it. I'm like, no, 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 I think it's so big that I'm curious what sovereign nations are gonna do. I'm like, I'm like kind of weirdly more bullish. I'm like, no, no, this is really here to, to stay, comma, what's gonna happen? Like, do governments fear it? Like, I actually, like, that's fascinating to me of like, you know, if, if, if sovereign nations lose leverage of, you know, of, of currency, that's powerful combos. So, you know, it's, it's a very nuanced thing and like, that's why headlines are so dangerous for all of us. It's why I kind of stay out of most subject matters now. I realize in 99% of subject matters, I'm a headline reader, right? You've got passing thoughts of somebody you think is smart on it or things of that nature and, you know, for me, 
this is deja vu, this is web 2.0. I mean, every single conversation around Twitter and Facebook in 2007 to me looked like the following. Gary, Facebook's just for kids, it's just college kids trying to put up beer pong photos. And Twitter was, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who gives a shit if you're going to eat a pizza? Why would somebody share that? And that's so, what, that's what people say to me about Twitter. I still have friends who just don't use Twitter, and I'm always like, "Why don't you?" I just find it so useful for news gathering. And they just say, "Because I don't need to know whatever I for lunch." And I just, that's not what it is anymore, you know? Right. It's you know, and that's fine. Listen, I think there's people in the no business. I think there's people in the yes business. I think there's people in the optimistic practical business. I think there's people in the cynicism business. You know, there's a lot of human traits out there and I think people show their cards and their actions and you know, I think for me, I, um, I have a natural tendency to get uncomfortably excited and loud when I know something which comes with a lot of potential baggage and I think for me and I think for everybody who's listening who's bullish and believes the nice thing is you don't have to convince people, you just have to execute. You know, like, you know, for me, execution always is the final judger. Not my conviction of myself, not the cynicism on the other side, or the act, or the cheering. At this point in my career, I have plenty of cheering, and I think that's very dangerous. I think once you hear the cheering, you become susceptible to getting very confused. I think humility and self-awareness are the foundations of actually pulling off a lot of these things. Uh, just a couple more for you, Gary. You know, I sure. mentioned the environmental stuff. As far as I see it, the other main, if there's kind of two main, I guess, uh, concerns or criticisms of the whole boom, is starting to realize, well, what is it you even really own? I mean, it depends on the NFT site you're using, but some of them aren't always storing things on chain. Uh, some of them, in some cases, you're really just buying an address, right? Uh, you know, as people who don't understand it, frame it, you're paying for a URL, but you're buying an address that represents something somewhere else. And so people say, you're paying all this money, what are you really getting and what can you do with it? Well, you can share it and say, check this out. I own this thing, which is cool. Or you can flip it, you can sell it. So in your case with your NFTs, as you mentioned, they also come with passes to future in-person events. And what I push you on is, all the people who believe in NFTs, the way they frame it is, just wrap your mind around digital only, it's all about digital, and then you add, there's also this in-person event you're gonna get a pass to. Does that detract from the whole thing at all? I mean, is that just, is there any way that that's just, and we'll throw this in, you know? It's a sell. You know, for me, the way I read it, I, I haven't really felt that take. You know, I th for me, I think, the smart contracts, the most interesting part of NFTs from the standpoint of, I expect to NFT my future homes, you know, like, and transact, I mean it. Like, I mean, I don't see why, it's a, it's a very clean, decentralized ledger. I think people are incredibly, I think people's marriage certificates are gonna be on it, right? Like, like why not? Like, it's a very, very clear, clean, decentralized ledger that I think people are gonna really build momentum on. So, I, you know, for me, I actually thought that was the, I, I was very passionate about that part with my project. That was kind of like all the ingredients of like, oh, I've always wanted to throw this conference. Oh, I've always wanted to buy the Smurfs, but wait a minute, maybe I can create, but yeah. You know, there are probably people who want NFTs to stay narrow in art and collectibilities. I think that would be, you know, I always find it funny when people are mad I'll give you an example. 
I was in a lot of clubhouses in, in January, in February, March, talking about like watching people from the physical art world shit on NFTs and I was like, I was like, but you're a contemporary artist and just 50 years ago your art wasn't considered art. Why are you doing this to these NFT artists? And then some of those NFT artists were like my, when they saw my doodles were like, that's not art, Gary. You're just trying to trade on your fame. And I'm like, wait a minute. You literally 40 days ago were fighting for the right to call your thing art and now, you know, I find that interesting and so I think I think it's very dangerous to impose what one wants something to be without understanding all the different use cases something can be. So for to me, the one of the neatest part is the contract and I think I can't wait to see innovators come up with things that aren't even running through my mind yet. You know, I'm excited to go to, you know, I'll give you an example, Dan, as you know, I'm a very big Jets fan. I was at the Monday Night Miracle, right? I was at that game and I, you know, and as a Jets fan, I'm sure this is very nerdy for people, they were losing 30 to seven to the Dolphins with like 12 minutes to go and they came back and won. It was ludicrous, the Monday Night Miracle. There was only like 4,000 people left in the stadium, Dan, because everybody left because it was a Monday night game. My cousin Bobby left at halftime. When I called him saying, can you believe we're almost coming back? He was already sleeping in Queens. That's how long, like he left that long ago. I, there was five, 6,000 people left in that stadium for that game. I personally have met 20,000 people that claim they were there. I, when I started understanding what NFTs could do, I was like, man, one day, I'll be able, my ticket will be an NFT because it should, should and will be. But there'll probably be NFT readers that I could scan on the way out to prove that I stayed for the whole thing. And then on the blockchain, they're like, no, no, no. There were 4,329 people who stayed for it. So like, I just think uh, provenance and all that is really important. And I think the counterfeit world, the hearsay world, that you don't really know world, like a lot of great things will happen in our society and other things will happen in a different way. Like, you know, there's always a counter. There was all these blessings that came with social that I saw in 2007, eight, nine, that were incredibly beautiful. And then there's, you know, silos and bullying and all sorts of other things. And there are plenty of things that people are gonna be uncomfortable with as blockchain becomes fully scaled, but there are gonna be some incredible good things and I'm excited for that chapter, Dan. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a, a fair and good answer. Let's end on this. So. To circle back to the NFT series, V Friends, what will success here look like to you? You know, I know you're not just measuring it in terms of how much do these things sell for, how hot are they. How will you measure whether your uh, foray into NFTs has been a success? Uh, two ways. Short term, the projects that come out this fall from people that have the luxurious situation that I have, which is a large audience are dramatically more thoughtful for the people on the other side of the transaction than the person that issued it. For me personally, that in 18 years, there'll be conversations over dinner with me and acquaintances or friends, or maybe I run into with you and say, man, remember we talked right before? You know, you know, you know, I, I have a very good memory. Like I can literally see you and I in Atlantic City talking the last time several, you like, right? And so for me, to truly answer this, for me, success is only if I'm able to execute over the next several decades to build a truly, truly meaningful, and I'm talk, I'm shooting for like Scooby-Doo Smurfs, that's big, big, big. 
And I really think I can, and I'll be honest with you, it's similar to the Jets, I realized. I'm like, why do I love this so much? Trying to make V Friends a cultural, intellectual property, trying. Just like trying to buy the Jets is like so fun for me. It's, it's built out of curiosity, chess, do I have it, can I? It's like, it's fun. So to me, success will be that I went out and actually did it and became one of the few and definitely one of the first to stand up a meaningful pop culture intellectual property from the ground of an NFT platform the way Angry Birds did from an iPhone game, the way that Pokemon did from a card game, the way that Harry Potter did from a book. Awesome, yeah. I agree, by the way, with the in-game comparisons. I think that's one way to frame all this that has been a little bit lost, that a lot more people can understand. You know, uh, I even mentioned Kim Kardashian and K-Coins. I think that's a, an early analogy that makes a lot of sense. You know, people who asked mom and dad for the credit card to buy rewards in that game. Same kind of 100%. thing. hundred percent. I mean, we're gonna have a lot, we're gonna have a lot of things that are gonna make people uncomfortable. People are gonna sell shares of their future earnings. There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna happen and I remind people especially if you're listening to this podcast, by nature, you're more innovative, you're more open-minded, you're more curious. Like, who's listening right now to this, right? You are that person. No is a very different answer than let me think this through and then have an opinion. And that, in that delta, because trust me, and you see it, Dan, and I think you have a good radar for this, there's a lot of things that are not exciting about how humans are, gonna, are acting right now with this gold rush. It was one of the reasons I was excited to stand up this project. I feel like I could create a framework that could be replicated in a better way. And I think, you know, but, but don't let the very minimal percentage of people that are bad and looking for very selfish greed moves cloud you in the macro of so much good. And I think our society has a lot of fear based in it, right? Like one, you know, one, person has a bad situation at a mall because of MySpace and then the news pumps it and then people didn't want, you know, like that kind of stuff, right? So like, you know, I think there's a lot of good here and I think there's incredible humanity. I've met so many people in the community, OGs in the NFT space and the crypto space and just creative, curious, thoughtful, smart, innovative. Like there's just so much stuff that you can't even imagine is about to happen in the next 10 years and being close to it is a huge mistake if you plan on living in the world. I like to say, Gary, the tech is agnostic. It is. So you can point to use cases you don't like, you can point to crime, you know, hackers asking for ransom in Bitcoin, or you can point to the social good and the examples of helping people. The tech itself is agnostic. I think that's right, Dan. I really genuinely do. And I think the tech is, the blockchain and all these blockchains that are popping up is the, as big, of an innovation to our lives as the internet was, as the printing press was, and all of us will be integrating into that reality for the rest of our collective lives, and the quicker we get thoughtful with it, instead of dismissive, or by the way, blindly ambitious the other way. Like, you, you've gotta find that equilibrium, and um, you know, I, I'm speaking with massive hyperbole. The Smurfs and Scooby-Doo are some of the biggest intellectual properties of all time, but it doesn't temper my ambition and my enthusiasm. On the flip side, I am far from confused after my 20 years of operating how much work, how much effort, how many really smart decisions I have to make to even begin to sniff that level of success. But I'm up for it and I'm excited to see and if not, I'll be the first to be like, look, I didn't have it. 
we'll just have to talk again in 20 years and see where the NFT space is. <laughs> I'd like that, Dan. I wish you a lot of success. Congrats on this. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks, Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, Gary Vee is one of the most authentic entrepreneurs out there, which makes this podcast a must listen. The knowledge dropped is just priceless. Thank you so much for that amazing review. And to anybody listening out there, if you leave us one, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.